Conversations with Amazing Me, Amazing You. Hi everybody, greetings from the south coast of Ireland and welcome to Conversations with Amazing Me, Amazing You. Today's podcast guest is the gorgeous Brie Bellafuel, who is all the way from Arizona and is the creator of the Self Healers podcast, in which she shares her own healing journey and the healing journey of others. As a self-healer, Brie takes full responsibility for all aspects of her life, and she has learned that when a part of her life isn't working out the way she would like it to, she has learned to practice looking inwards to see what needs to be changed, taking full responsibility for creating the changes herself. Brie, it's an absolute honor and delight to have you on today's podcast. You're so very welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. So Brie, would you like to share your amazing self-love process and journey with us? I sure would. Uh, again, thank you so much for having me on your podcast. I love your podcast. And um, this is my first real guest appearance on a podcast. So this is exciting. And what better thing to talk about than self-love, right? Absolutely. The foundation of all our relationships. I'm still a work in progress, as I think most of us are. I started knowing that I needed to work on self-love when I got sober from alcohol about three years ago. And I just knew that my relationship with myself was in some major, major trouble because the first thing that I would wake up in the morning and say to myself was, you are so disgusting. And that would be the first thing that I would say. That's how I'd start out my day. And it carried on throughout the day, the way that I would talk to myself. But there was just no love for myself at all. I was completely bankrupt in that department. And I started when I got sober from alcohol. Obviously, I took a few months to physically repair my body because I had been drinking pretty excessively for about 10 years after the passing of my sister. And it was an unexpected death, and it shook me to my core, and I had no coping skills on how to deal with it. I had already been binge drinking. That's pretty much how I came out of high school and through college and through my 20s. My good times were filled with drinks. And when my sister passed away, the alcohol turned into a drug, and I used it to numb. And... I started to get pretty low after my sister died, and I started isolating myself a lot more. And a few years after she died, I met my ex-husband. And this relationship was probably the worst time of my life. And not just because of the marriage itself, but because every everything that had accumulated, um, my self-hatred had, you know, started to grow more and more. I started my self-harming patterns. They, they started showing up a lot more during this marriage because, you know, life happens, my, you know, dogs die and frustrations happen with your, your partner. And I had no tools on how to communicate or resolve conflict. I had picked somebody who was here to, well, what I call as my karmic relationship. So it was a very, very hard marriage. 
And during this time, not only was I drinking, but I was hiding what I was drinking. I was, I have something called trichotillomania where I pull my hair out and I've been doing that since I was a kid, but I also kept that hidden. And I was also in the marriage with a vegan and I did not want to be vegan, but felt that I could not tell him that. So I hid what I ate as well. So I was hiding three major parts about myself. I was hiding what I was drinking. I was hiding my hair pulling and I was hiding what I was eating. Not to mention I was hiding things that I wanted to do outside of the relationship, such as hanging out with my sister in particular, but also different friends that my ex-husband didn't approve of. I would lie about everything about me that mattered to me. So it had me turn all of the anger I had towards him and I would say my mom and anybody who I had anger towards, I turned it against myself. I couldn't believe that I had allowed this to become my life and I hated myself for it. I was miserable. And at that time, I certainly didn't look inwards for me to fix it. I thought if only these people could change, then my life would be fine. I remember when I would hide alcohol from my ex-husband and I would go to the store and I would buy it and then I would very, very sneakily put the bag quietly into the patio so the dogs wouldn't bark. And then he would go to sleep and then I'd sneakily slide out the patio door, go grab the wine and then start drinking for the night. Like my sister would be like, does he know that you're drinking as much as you do? Because we had a similar relationship with alcohol. And, and my, my excuse was, he's just too judgmental. He wouldn't understand. I need it to deal with him. You know, like that kind of thing. Yeah. And I carried a lot, a lot, a lot of anger around it with, inside of me. And that's the way I took it out. So I would spend my nights after my son would go to bed, I would sneakily go out of his room, be very, very quiet so he wouldn't wake up. And and I would go to the fridge, get my wine, sit down on the couch, watch TV, pull out my hair, drink the wine, smoke cigarettes outside, not inside. <laughs> and then also I had a really big thing with sunflower seeds. So I was, I did everything in my power to numb this hatred that I had towards myself. So my ex-husband and I ended up getting a divorce. It was right when my son turned two and I thought I was going to have the best post-divorce partying any 39-year-old could have. <laughs> I thought I was going to go out and party, but at this point I was so isolated already. The thought of going out, I, it, it had no appeal to me. I wanted to be alone. I wanted to be numb. I didn't want to feel anything. So as the universe would have it, the universe wanted me to quit. And I use universe as, I guess, my term for God, right? It's my guidance. Um, and what happened was I started to get really, really, really intense heartburn to where I really physically could not drink. So I, I decided that I was going to stop drinking and I had originally planned for my birthday in March, but the heartburn got so bad that I ended up quitting in January. 
And I ended up quitting for nine months. And during this nine months, I only focused on my weight. And I thought if I could just lose weight, then everything else would fall into place. I would find the man, I would be confident again. But during this whole time, obviously I was almost 40. I wasn't losing weight as easily as I had previously. And I was not doing any internal work. So essentially what I was trying to do, I was trying to hate myself into loving myself. So I would go to the gym and I would work out hard and then I'd get on the scale and it wouldn't show much progress. And you're just so gross. Why can't you lose weight? You know, like that would be my internal dialogue. And then this happened for nine months, nine months rolls around and I ended up relapsing into alcohol. And this uh, had another nine months where I was on and off the sauce, but with each relapse, my self-hatred got worse. And I just couldn't figure out why, why was I struggling with this? This was nothing that I ever thought that I would have a problem with. Why alcohol? I should be able to quit. What's wrong with me? And then my stomach started to just go haywire and I had major digestive issues So I was trying to quit. I'd get like a good two weeks going and then something would happen and I would end up being at the store getting wine and relapsing again. And then my stomach would just be completely messed up. This was an important day for me. It was, I remember it was in June and I was enlarging pictures of my dog who had passed in January and I was getting really sad as I was looking at these pictures of him because when he passed in January, I didn't grieve him. I drank and I numbed it out. So I didn't, I never really felt that. But at this point I was probably, you know, I probably hadn't drank for like a week and I was enlarging pictures of him to put in a frame on the wall. And on the same day, my ex-husband called and he had his usual drama and it started, you know, he was yelling and, you know, all of this stuff. And I was so upset. And I went to the store and I got wine and I got home and I'm just like, what is this? And I was just like, I don't think I like to feel bad feelings. Like, honestly, this was the first click for me. I was like, I think that's what it is. I don't like to feel bad. So I'd rather feel nothing. That's an incredible realization, Brie. I don't like to feel bad. So I'd rather feel nothing. So powerful. It was very powerful, and, and it was so powerful that I remember feeling that, and that was like three, three and a half years ago, you know? So it, it really stuck with me, and I really feel like that thought wasn't mine. That was given to me by the universe. Like, pay attention, you know? In the meantime, I'm still listening to, like, alcohol recovery podcasts. I'm still reading, you know, books, memoirs. I was really big into memoirs. And on August 7th, 2017, I relapsed for the last time. And the last thing that I said before I went to bed was, well, you did it again. And I woke up in the morning and I had a monster of a hangover. My stomach was a disaster. And I just said, do you at least want to try to be happy? And I said, yeah, I'm sick of it. I can't keep doing this to myself. At this point, my stomach was so messed up. I I had had a massage and I was telling her how bad my stomach was. She had like done an oil pull on me and 
It felt like fire was all over my body. I went to go get a pedicure, and the woman who was giving me a pedicure was feeling my feet. She didn't speak English very well, but she, like, scrunched up her face and rubbed her, like, pretended she was rubbing her belly. And she was like, ooh, she's like, ooh, this bad. And I was like, yes. I'm like, you can feel that in my feet? And she's like, yeah. So physically, my body was screaming at me to stop. I was in so much discomfort that I physically couldn't do it much longer. But I was also at such an emotional low because I couldn't feel anything. And it's confusing as to why it's so painful to not be able to feel. But what I understand now is that your feelings are your guide star from your soul. They lead you to, your feelings lead you to where, what your purpose is. It leads you to what you like, what you don't like, the ability to set boundaries. And when you completely shut that off, you have, I mean, what I felt was purposeless. What am I doing here? So I asked myself that morning, I said, do you at least want to try and be happy? And I said, yeah. And I had been listening to this podcast. It was called Recovery Elevator. It's a podcast where he shares stories of people in all in various stages of sobriety. And during his podcast, he uh, mentioned that he had this online recovery group called Cafe RE. And this was not anything that I would normally be attracted to, but I, something in me knew that it's what I needed. And I said, I'm going to go in this online recovery group and I'm going to participate. I'm going to be active and I'm going to find my tribe. And I hit the ground running. And for the first time, I started sharing things about myself that I had previously kept hidden. Hidden like even just admitting that I was drinking alcohol because nobody outside of my sister knew what my relationship to alcohol was. It was everything about me that I had any kind of shame around was hidden. There was only a part of me that anybody on the outside was able to see. And I decided to start talking about myself and My marriage was so bad that where I started was, I have to understand why I think so poorly of myself that I thought that was okay. And that's where I started. Like, what about me do I think deserved that? And I started just devouring books, a lot of alcohol memoirs, first of all, but I started to read and read and listen to podcasts and hearing other people share their stories helped me share mine. And I started like going into webinars where I would talk and it was so hard because I would black out completely. My voice would shake. I would have no idea what I said after I was done speaking. But like I said, it was something deep inside of me that knew that that's what I needed to do. And I just kept going. It was one foot in front of the other. And the first year of sobriety, I wouldn't even say sobriety because I've been sober. My first year of recovery was me uncovering the parts of myself where one, why would I allow myself to get into this marriage? And then I started uncovering things about my childhood. 
And that's when the pieces started falling into place. But what I did in order to talk to myself better, I joined this group. It was called Hip Sobriety School. So it was like this holistic approach to recovery. And a part of her um, program was affirmations. And every day she would give us an affirmation and then she would relate it as a story to her life. And every day I'd write down on the note card and I'd pin it on my wall. And I would just look at these affirmations every day and I'd repeat them. I mean, there were probably like, I don't know, 50 or so on my closet wall when I was all done. And every day I would just like repeat the affirmations, repeat the affirmations. And I don't know if that, well, it was definitely part of my path. So but I still couldn't really get out of the negative self-talk because there was still a huge part of me that thought if I could just look better, everything would be fine. And I don't know about you, but I don't know if there's a society in this world where anybody looks just fine. You know, there's always something to improve. There's always somewhere you can lose weight. There's always somewhere where you could put a cream and not look as old as you are. And, you know, there, it was just like, it was a never ending. It, it was just being, it was just spinning on a wheel. And so I ended up finding this woman called Byron Katie, and I downloaded her book uh, on Audible called Loving What Is. And this was the first time that I was really able to start questioning my thoughts because the understanding became clear to me that I was super willing to be like the horrible person in my own life, but why couldn't I just as easily be the hero? Why couldn't I love myself as easily as I hated myself? And that's what this book, Loving What Is, allowed for me to do. And in this book, she has four questions. And every time that you have a, a negative thought, the four questions are, number one, is this thought true? Number two, can I be absolutely sure that it's true? Number three, how do I react when I believe this thought? And number four, who would I be without this thought? And the fourth one, the who would I be without this thought, was what I came back to every time I had a negative thought. So I would really what I changed it to would be what would happen if I changed the story. So a big part of how I ended up being was I I can make up stories about how other people viewed me. Like, for example, I have a story. I mean, I got a million stories, but at this time I was in this online recovery group and, you know, online and you can make up stories about people not liking you or people thinking you're dumb. Or if I was as pretty as this person, I would be treated differently. Well, this happened all the time in this recovery group, which is exactly what I needed because I was able to see the stories that I was making up about myself and I was able to break it down with Byron Katie's questions. And I thank God for the opportunity to be in that group, not only because I made amazing, amazing friendships in this group, but I was able to work through this hypervigilance and this and these stories that I make up. And I was able to see these stories that I was creating. And that really helped me with my self-love. On the 
conscious level because I'm aware of these thoughts that I'm thinking. But the issue became my subconscious thoughts. This is the the conditioning and the patterning or, you know, yoga, the samskaras, where you don't even know you're operating from this level. So it was about a year, a little over a year. Well, it was about a year into sobriety where I made the decision to do ayahuasca. And in about a year and a half, I made the decision to go to Rhythmia Life Advancement Center in Costa Rica and do four ayahuasca ceremonies. I never heard of an ayahuasca ceremony before. What is it? Right. Okay. So I didn't either. And it's interesting because they'll say that you are called to do ayahuasca. So before your soul even comes here, it's it's probably set up in your life that at some point in your life, you're going to do ayahuasca. <laughs> okay. So what happened was the person who was the founder of this recovery group I was in, he had gone and he did a reveal in our group where he shared that he did ayahuasca. And as he was talking about it, my hands started to sweat, my heart started to race. And I was very, very, very interested in what he was talking about. And that's a calling. And So I did my own research and I decided that it was for me. And what it is, is ayahuasca is, it's plant medicine and it's found in the jungle and shamans have harvested it and they produce this medicine, which it's, I think it's from like a leaf and a vine. And then when you combine them together, they produce DMT and DMT is already naturally incurring in your brain, but it is only released when you're born and when you die. So when you take this medicine, you're allowing the DMT that's already in your brain to come out and play. And what this does is provides you, well, it has many different effects on many different people, but for me, it was my spiritual awakening. And this is where at Rhythmia, they have three intentions. One is show me who I've become. And this night I was shown who I really am. So it showed me my shadow self. It showed me that I was jealous. It showed me that I was never satisfied. It showed me that I was afraid of men. That's profound learning, Brie. Incredible. And what's involved in the ceremony it's a whole ceremony. It's, it's nothing to take lightly. It's a very sacred ceremony and they, you know, they pray over it. They put intention into it. There's a ceremony before they even allow the people who are participating in the ceremony to take it. And it, you take it in like a little shot glass and, and then you go and you lay down and you wait for mother ayahuasca to appear. And So what can happen when you take the medicine is you will purge and purging can be yawning. It could be laughing. It could be throwing up. It could be pooping. It could come out in many different ways, but the most common I would say for me in my experience was yawning. But when I first took it, they say, you know, let it sit for a little bit. Try not to throw up just, you know, lie still for 30 to 45 minutes. 
And I don't know how long I was laying there, but I ended up getting up and onto my knees and I was going to purge because I felt nauseous and I wanted to purge into my bucket. And the shaman came over to me and tapped me on the shoulder. And they have this thing called like sweet water, which is like Agua de Florida. And the shamans do this beautiful thing where they put it in their mouth and they blow it over you and it's supposed to help you heal or bring out the sweet side, I guess. And so the shaman taps me on the shoulder. He tells me to sit up and I do. And the first thought in my head was, oh no, I'm not doing this right. I shouldn't have sat up or I shouldn't have tried purging too soon. And you know, like I'm beating myself up because I had to puke. And, and then the first vision I get is you wait for permission to be you. And I knew a million percent what it meant because I hid parts of myself all of my life. If I didn't think you would approve of me, I would show you a side that I thought you would approve of. And so, so many parts of me were hidden. It would show up in my life where I was hypervigilant. So I would, I, I, I always called myself an observer. So I would like to feel people out before I, I showed up in any way. Like, are they going to be okay with this version of me or this version of me? Then I would feel comfortable to move forward, but I would wait for the person to give me permission. So that was like the first message that I got through ayahuasca. And that was a hard night. It's not a, it's not, um, super fun to learn about the dark side of you. Did you hear this message inside yourself? It's inside of myself and it's in, it, it comes in through me like a thought in my own head. Like a really powerful. So powerful, but you know, it's not you that's thinking it. It's, it's kind of hard to explain. You know, it's not you. It's just like if your intuition, like if you, like if you're meditating and you get a download, that's what it, fe- that's what it feels like in, or that thought. And, um, so the next night is where I, the intention is merge me back with my soul at any cost. And I was able to meet my soul. And that was my awakening. And I just sobbed and sobbed and sobbed because I understood that I am not a person. I am a soul. And I just knew, and I just remember that night, I was like, it was like the first time that I had felt joy without the fear of losing it. And I just allowed myself this intense joy. I was so happy. And I just remember thinking, nothing matters. That's what I kept saying. I kept saying, nothing matters. Anything that I've ever worried about does not matter. What am I doing? Nothing matters, you know? And, and then the next night was the intention was heal my heart. And that's where I had to grieve the loss of my sister. And I had to grieve a miscarried baby. So it was a huge, huge, huge spiritual awakening. I mean, it's the turning point in my life. I mean, getting sober was probably the turning point. So this is what I needed to wake me up because before I went to Rhythmia, I still was not able to feel much at all. And I was just like, and that's one of the reasons I wanted to go. I'm just like, I feel like I should have some kind of enjoyment in this life. Like maybe one day I should be excited about something. And so I went to Rhythmia as like my last ditch effort and I remember saying to one of the people we went with, I was just like, 
I don't know. I just feel like maybe I'm too far gone. Like there's no turning the ship around. Like maybe this is just my life. And so obviously it changed at Rhythmia. And then I got home and I still had my same triggers. And I thought I was going to be a completely different person. And they say uh, ayahuasca is not a panacea. It's not going to change, you know, your life. The real work happens when you get home. I was hoping that for me, since, you know, everything had been hard up to this point that I would be thrown a bone or something. (laughs) But no, no, I get home and I have the same triggers and I have the same reactions and I just start feeling so low again. I'm like, what is it going to take? And one day I was watching a documentary on Netflix called Heal. And in this documentary, this woman went to a Reiki healer. And in the documentary, they showed this Reiki healer doing a tapping. I think it's called the emotional freedom technique. And during this segment, this woman had a breakthrough and she was able to understand something about herself. And I was just like, maybe that's what I need. So I went online and I found this Reiki healer and I was like, I'll try it. I'll try anything. And I go to her and it was completely different. It was not tapping at all. She was actually an intuitive Reiki healer. So she was the first person who showed me sound healing. And she played these crystal singing bowls. I don't know if you've heard of them, but you like drag a a little mallet around the bowl and it has this resonance. Have you ever seen a crystal singing bowl? No, I haven't. I'm familiar with singing bowls, but not crystal. Yeah, there's different kinds. So there's like the Tibetan singing bowls, but hers were crystal. Ah, I once went to a Tibetan singing bowls workshop and loved it. And what was your experience? Well, so she did this before my Reiki session and it was the first, and and I could just feel stuff moving in my body. And I was like, what is happening to my body? And then she comes over and she uses her hands with her Reiki treatments and she would be by my feet, but I thought she was at my head. And then my feet would go completely numb and then my head would go completely numb. And then I would feel a ton of sensation in my right arm. And so it was the first time that I ever identified as energy. And this was huge. This was a huge turning point for me as well, because to know that I'm energy. Well, what had happened was the next day I leave and I wake up in the morning and my throat is so sore. It feels like it's on fire, but I don't feel sick. So I send her a message and I said, hey, it's really weird, but my throat is on fire. Could this be related to the Reiki? And she said, well, you had a major block in your throat chakra. And if you don't, if you're not familiar with the chakras, there's seven of them and they're energy centers in our bodies. And when you have a block in them, in one of them or all of them, I probably had a block in all of them. That's where you're going to find parts where parts of your life aren't working. So my throat chakra, this is where you speak your truth. And my whole entire life, I have not spoken my truth. I've hidden parts of myself from a very, very young age. And So she said, the pain that you're feeling is your throat chakra opening up. So this was important because 
I knew that it was important for me to speak my truth, but I still didn't understand why. And so, but one of the things that she said to me was, she said, I feel a lot of heaviness in your belly. And my stomach has been the number one focus of all of my hate throughout all of my life. I have always hated my stomach, even when I was really thin. I was never satisfied with it. And she said, we need to talk about the weight. And I was just like, oh, okay. You know, I wasn't happy about it, but Mm -hmm. obviously I was there. And she said, all that weight is, is emotional energy. And it's just protecting you. And I said, protecting me from what? And she said, because you weren't allowed to have your own feelings, you use this weight as a way to protect. And what you can do is you can go home and you can meditate and ask your spirit guides to say, thank you for protecting me. I no longer need you. I'm able to feel my own feelings now. And I was like, done. People have been asking me or telling me to do meditation forever. I mean, in recovery, like everybody talks about meditation and I've tried it and it never really resonated. And I was just like, what am I doing? I don't feel anything anyway. Why do I need to get any quieter? I didn't understand it. And I had tried many times up until this point, but this time was different because she said that all I had to do was ask (laughs) and my weight would be given. And I said, who would want this weight? And she said, well, another child who doesn't feel safe to have their emotions. And I was like, and then I started crying. And then, because I, I just thought about my my little small self protecting myself because I wasn't able to be myself. And, and that was really powerful to me. So I went home and this was the first time that I really, really started meditating. Mm-hmm. And during this meditation, so in my ayahuasca experience, I had this vision of this teacher and his name is Mr. Banai and he was there. And I was like, what the heck are you doing here? I don't even know why you're here. And then I'm like, did he hurt me? Do I not remember him hurting me? And I'm trying to piece this together. I have no idea why this teacher is here. And then the first day that I, I may, may not have been the first time I meditated, but after my Reiki session, but very early on, I'm meditating and I have this visual of this girl flash across my face and then this teacher, Mr. Banai, right after. And I knew exactly what that meant. This girl was put into the gifted program and, and this was in fourth grade. And I remember being so kind of like, I remember like she would come into the classroom after being taken out. Uh, of the our class to go into the gifted part of her class and then she'd come back and I just would stare at her and I thought she's special and because she's special I'm not and this is where my unworthiness started and that's what it was trying to show me in ayahuasca but so I'm sobbing understanding where that my unworthiness is because of this event and Yeah. And so I, from then on, I was hooked. I wanted more meditation. I wanted more answers to these questions 
that I had. So that's exactly what I did. I started asking questions and meditation. And I would set my intention, like, what do I need to let go of? What do I need to do? Like one time, my son and I, every morning we would butt heads and I would be trying to get him ready for school. He's resisting me. And I just remember sitting down. I'm just like, what do I need to do? And just this download just came, you have to let him brush his own teeth. So the next day I just went, Keen, you're brushing your own teeth from now on. I'm not going to do it. And we stopped having fights in the morning. So it was this control thing that I wanted. And like, I would have different, I would be like, what do I need to let go of? And I would get like a visual of an old timey, like old timey Western looking black and white thing. And I knew that that meant to let go of the past. And all of these things started coming up and the pieces started coming together. And one day, so at this point, I'm still not my own best friend. And my ex-husband was a huge, huge, and my mom, they were my, okay, so my ex-husband and my mom were huge, huge emotional drains on me. And they each wanted something from me that I didn't want to give. And that was my energy. And my ex-husband would, he, I was his emotional dump. He would call me and complain about any and everything. And I hated it. I hated it. But I knew that if I said, I don't want you to talk to me, or I don't want to be this person for you anymore, that he would make it harder for me in the co-parenting with our son. So I tolerated it, I swallowed it, and I just let it continue and continue and continue. And same thing with my mom. My mom and I have had this relationship where I am constantly having to betray myself to manage her feelings. And she always wanted me to, with my sister who died, she had a daughter and my mom is raising our niece and she is a little bit of a handful. She's had a lot of trauma and my mom is always saying that I don't do enough. Even if I take her for a weekend, it's still not enough. Nothing is ever enough. And so my conversations all week long are from people that I don't want to be having these conversations with, but I'm not doing anything about it. And one day my ex-husband calls and he says, and he's, he's going on and on and on and on. And I just go, stop it. Stop. I cannot hear you talking more. And I don't know where this came from. This wasn't me. And he was, what? And I said, no, I'm not it. I'm not your person. You don't get to do it anymore to me. This is not, I am not this person for you. If you have to complain about something, you need to go find somebody else to do it with. And he was furious. And this was my first boundary that I'd ever set. And I blacked out. I was shaking. I could barely stand up after I did it. And after I set that boundary, he tried to make my life hell. And what exactly what I feared would happen, happened. But this was the difference this time. I didn't give in. I had had enough. I was finally sticking up for myself and listening to what I wanted. And I know this throat clearing, this opening of my throat chakra was the thing that helped me to do it. 
And I stayed firm and a week went by. And one day he just called me like nothing had happened. And I said, I thought you weren't talking to me ever again. And he said, well, I can't not talk to you ever again. So we're just going to have to let it go. And I said, well, I want you to know that if we are to move forward, I am not your person to talk to when you are upset or frustrated. That's not my job anymore. And I'm done. And he said, okay, I'm sorry. You've never set a boundary with me before. So it just took me a little getting used to. And and that was huge for me to understand that I could stick up for myself and be true to myself and somebody else respect that. I was like, whoa, this works? Wow. So I implemented the same thing with my mom. And I actually had to stop talking to my mom for a little over a month until she really understood what I was saying because each time she would call me, I would really stay with my boundary. I would just say, I'm not responsible for your life. This is your life. I will do what I can and what I want. Like, I'm not going to be made to feel guilty for to do more when I don't want to. And I just kept staying firm, staying firm, consistent, and she wasn't listening. So we ended up not talking for a month and then it resolved. And this was huge for me. And then my life got more peaceful. And I was like, hmm, I think I'm responsible for my life. <laughs> and, and this was huge for me. And then another issue that I had was I had a pet sitting business and I had been not happy doing it for years or probably at least a year by that point. I was getting so resentful of working so much and being on call all the time. And it just no longer resonated with me. And which was weird because when I first started doing it, I absolutely loved it. And so I had another ayahuasca experience about a year ago in July. And the whole entire experience was me letting go of control. And the first thing that was shown to me was me holding myself down by the neck by another me. And it said, if you keep holding on to things so tightly that aren't working, nothing will change. As soon as you let go, everything will change. And I knew it was about my job. And I had been getting all of these messages that I needed to start this yoga school here in Tempe, Arizona. And I was just like, uh, no, I can't do that. How, I have a kid. How am I supposed to like quit this business where I know I'm getting money and then go to yoga school and be a college student again and like all of this stuff. And I kept resisting and resisting. And the whole thing was about letting go and control. And, and I, it became very clear to me that this yoga route was what I needed to do. And I was just like, I don't understand it. I don't understand why I'm supposed to do this because I didn't even have a yoga practice. I had no time to do any yoga at all because I was always working. And it was so confusing to me. But this is what I started listening. And I closed my business like two weeks after I had this ayahuasca experience. And I started the 600-hour yoga teacher training program at this school here in Tempe. So I, and I still didn't understand it. Didn't make any sense to me. But 
what I come to understand now, and this has been a pretty recent revelation, is that yoga has helped me get in touch with my body and my feelings. Beautiful. And I wasn't able to grasp that part because I still completely disassociated from my body. I didn't like my body. I didn't want to be in my body. And yoga allowed me to be mindful with it, to know what it feels like, to be gentle with myself, which was so weird. Being gentle with myself? Are you kidding me? Like I exercised to punish this body into a different shape. I didn't want to be gracious with it and allow it to move how it wanted to. But yoga allowed me to do this. And it also allowed me to start feeling different sensations. And what it did was, you know how they say in yoga, just notice the sensation, follow the sensation. Mm -hmm. Well, I was able to see that everything comes and goes. It comes and it goes, it moves and it flows. And I was just like, and they say that, you know, who you are on the mat is who you are off the mat. And yoga is life, honestly, you know? And I really, really deeply understood why I was being led in this path because without yoga, me feeling all of the feelings to help me move towards self-love wouldn't have been possible. Brie, I am in awe of your courage to take that huge leap of faith and trust yourself to leave that secure job and pursue the dream of 600 hours yoga training. That's phenomenal. And it changed my life. But this is the thing that I think is so important is because I finally started listening. I stopped acting like I knew what was best for me with this mind. You know, like, because this mind is what created the discontented all of my life. Like, what do I feel like? I remember one day I'd gotten off the phone with my mom and I have a really hard time. And I'm, this is actually something that I'm working on now. And I just sat in my car and I screamed as loud as I could. I just screamed like I had never screamed before. And after I was done, my hands were shaking, my head was bobbling but I felt lighter and I felt like I had gotten it out. And I just started understanding that it's okay to express things that aren't what I would previously have. Like if I had thought I'm just so mad right now, like somebody would think I'm a really negative, nasty person. And, and just allowing myself that just to flow through me because Here's the thing that I learned is that even though I didn't want people to think I was a negative, nasty, hateful person, that's exactly what I was feeling inside. And so I might be showing up with a smile and a joke, but inside I'd go home and I'd still be miserable because I never allowed it to flow through me. And that's one of the things that yoga has helped me tap into which is moving me towards self-love. So, and I also started doing inner child work. So I went through my pictures of when I, you know, when I was younger, because I started pulling out my hair in fourth grade. And I was just like, now it's clear to me why I started pulling out my hair, because that's when my unworthiness started. But before that, I didn't understand. For the first 
couple of years of my life, I thought I was pretty cool. I, I remember thinking I was the best dancer and I was the best bike rider. And I, you know, I was, I, I was pretty proud of myself. And then at some point that changed and I went into my pictures and I was looking at my pictures and I saw the change in my eyes from fourth to fifth grade and fourth grade, they like, they just like shine and you could see the smile, but in fifth grade, they started to look dead. And so I took this picture and whenever I'm doing any kind of self-forgiveness, I use this technique called Ho'oponopono, which is where you say, I'm sorry, please forgive me. Thank you. And I love you. So whenever I'm working through something like I hate myself, I hate the way my body looks, I visualize this picture that I have of where my eyes are smiling and I just work through it, whatever the issue is. And I say, I'm I'm sorry. And I'm saying I'm sorry to this little girl who just wanted to be loved and she just wanted to be herself. And then I'll, I'll visualize like taking her hands and spinning around and dancing and just like hugging her. And I'll just say, everything about you is awesome. You don't have to change anything about yourself. I love you exactly the way you are. And I just work with my inner child because that's who I'm doing this for, you know, Mm -hmm. to think that I spent so many years hating her is where I can wrap my mind around and really want to resolve that within myself because we all love children, right? You know, we all think they're amazing. And my son, he's seven now. And a lot of times I'm able to work through some of my own inner child stuff Mm -hmm. because of something that comes up with him. Like one time we were at a pet sit and we were doing his homework and it was just a really, really, really bad homework experience. And he was like dragging his body off the couch and he was poking holes with his pencil into the paper and he was crying. And this was kindergarten. No, I think it was kindergarten. No, it was first grade. And I'm, I'm getting upset with him. And I'm like, what is going on? You know how to do this. And it just kept escalating, escalating. We drive home. Neither one of us is talking. And he finally just goes, I don't like math because Liam can do a thousand problems and I can only do 10. And that means I suck. And I was just like, whoa, that's my stuff. And he's just here to show me that. And so I take him and I just talk to him like I, and I'm actually visualizing, I mean, with him, but I'm actually visualizing my small self and we're working through it together. And I said, just because someone is better at this than you does not mean you don't have value. I love you. And you are perfect just the way you are. You do not have to be the best at everything. And so I'm able to use my son as well as my own inner child. And you would be amazed at the way that stuff comes up for me with my son. I mean, just the other day, he wanted something immediately. He has this thing that he needs it on his timeline. And I said to him, and I've been working through my own stuff. And I said to him, you know what? Not everything is on your timeline. You just need to be patient. And I knew I was saying that to myself. You know, Mm -hmm. it's everywhere. The messages are everywhere to help you get to where you want to be. And then another something that I use is breath work. 
And I started doing that more consistently in January, but breathwork has been so incredibly powerful and transformative and healing. And I don't love to do breath work. Like when I get down, it's always like a little bit of resistance. But every time that I actually complete it and I do it, there's always a benefit there. I find breath work hugely healing also. And what would be one of your favorite practices? Yeah. So the one I do, it's from Pushing Beauty. Um, she has her own, like she has like a 30-day breathwork challenge where she can guide you through it. But you breathe deeply into your lower belly, then your heart space, and then out your mouth. So it's all open mouth. So it's like, <sighs> so it's like the circular breath. She has things where it's like, 10 minutes and then 20 minutes and then 35 minutes. And the 35 minute one is usually the one that I get the most action going, but all of it is beneficial because, you know, the breath is prana. So it's the life force. So your breath is just so incredibly important to allow the universal energy to move through you. So, and for helping with your nervous system and the vagus nerves, like deep breaths and diaphragmic breathing that all helps regulate your nervous system and put you into that parasympathetic rest and digest state. So breath work has been really important. And I also do breath work before I meditate. And I just feel like I'm able to get more insights and downloads when I sit down and mindfully breathe before I do that. And I usually do that with the four, seven, eight breath. So it's four counts in and you're breathing into your lower belly. You're holding it at the top for a count of seven. And then you press the tongue against the back of your teeth and the roof of your mouth. And then with through an open mouth, or I would say pursed lips, you blow out for eight. So it's four in, seven hold, eight out. And I do that for a cycle of four times before I meditate in the morning. And that really gets me focused on my breath. That sounds wonderful. Yeah. So that, and that's a really easy one to do. So, and then boundaries, um, that for my self-love, that was incredibly, incredibly important. They're still hard for me to set. I love the interview that I did with you. I think you are just an expert on boundaries. Thank you, Bree. And I'm still practicing all the time. Yeah. You, yeah. You're practicing all the time. Yeah. And it just shows you that you are your own best friend. You have your own back and nobody else can do that for you except for you. And that's one of the things that I've learned about this taking responsibility for my own life is I spent so many years thinking that if just they changed, yeah. if only they changed and I would complain about these people in my life for to anyone who'd listen and I could hold a room because I have some really good stories and they would all have my back and tell me how awful it was for me and how bad it was for me and how sorry they felt for me, but it never made me feel any better. I mean, maybe initially, but there was no lasting change within me that felt any better. And it wasn't until I started saying, this is your work. This is what you have to do. This is what you're here for. And the only way that you're going to have any inner peace and freedom 
is if you do the work. And it's taken a lot of unlearning of this victim mentality that I had to taking responsibility for my life, but it's been the most empowering. Yeah. Because it's my life. I get to decide how it goes. And of course, I still have bad days. And of course, I don't think I love myself fully, but I'm a heck of a lot better than where I was three years ago. You know, when, when the first thing that I would wake up and say is, you're so disgusting. What a profound difference in just three years, Brie. That is incredible. And when you mentioned earlier how you would have thought if only they'd change, Mm -hmm. I remember thinking those exact same thoughts that if only they'd change, I would be happier or things would be less uh, tricky or difficult. And then I learned that, oh, actually, it's I'm responsible for my own happiness and I'm responsible for meeting my own needs and I'm responsible for creating boundaries in order to meet my needs. And that was a huge turning point for me when I learned that it is up to me to look after my needs and create a boundary that's for me and not against another person. It's not against you. It's for me. I love that. Yeah. And that's the power in it. It's, and if you can't meet my need, that's okay. But I can take different steps so I can meet my own needs. And I stopped waiting for other people to make my life better. I stopped looking for things outside of me. I won't say completely stopped because sometimes you're just like, it'd be really nice to win the lottery. But like I stopped looking for things outside of me that I thought would make me happy because it never lasts. And when you really start to pay attention and you really start to self-observe, you see that nothing outside of you lasts. Nothing. Not a new love, not a compliment, not validation it all goes away. You're just left wanting more. And that's one of the big things in my first ayahuasca experience that I was never satisfied. I was never satisfied. Nothing was enough because I wasn't enough. How was something outside of me supposed to be enough when internally I wasn't, you know? Mm -hmm. So it just keeps you on that hamster wheel. I need more. I need more. And you don't, Mm -hmm. you know? And that's a really big unlearning because not only is it, you know, personal where you're thinking this, but it's a society. I mean, we're so consumer driven. Just do this, just do this, get this, and then you'll be happy. And it just never works. So taking responsibility is huge. And then sound healing. I love sound healing so much because it does move my energy around. And sometimes I will have you know, things pop up and I'm able to work through things, but mostly it is such a gentle, loving thing to do for myself. Mm. And I just love it so much. And then yoga, yoga has been a huge, huge self-loving act that I can do in my life. Brie, I'm thinking of at the beginning of our conversation, when you had said that you had no tools, you know, no tools to to practice self-love and self-care. And now you have a huge toolkit, a huge toolbox. You have amazing practices in your life now. Yeah, I do. And it's shocking to me sometimes. I think of where I was like three years ago. I remember when I I thought, I well, I thought when I knew that I had to stop drinking, I was just like, what am I going to do? Mm-hmm. What am I going to do? I'm going to be so bored. 
you know? Mm -hmm. And, and now I think back to all of the hours that I wasted in front of the TV and hung over and hating myself and thinking about drinking. And I'm just like, what a waste, what a waste. And, but it was necessary. I couldn't be here without all that. Yeah. But to think that I would ever be bored, (laughs) I laugh at myself now. (laughs) Oh, that's fantastic. And you know, if you think of all of the tools, I mean, you have a huge array of them. So your meditation, your breath work, the sound healing, like, are there, say, if you were to pick your top one or your top two that you'd say, these are the ones that I always, always want to continue with. So top three would be meditation, boundaries, and sound healing. Mm. Those would be my top three, only because breath work is so transformative. But like I said, there's a lot of resistance when I when I come up to it. I mean, all of it is so important. I mean, and I use it throughout the day. Like even when I when I still struggle with not being or having a hard time losing weight, or I just will visualize my small self and say, "You are perfect just the way you are." And so you're able to bring in those throughout your day. I love that. So, yeah. Yeah. And just coming back to your breath whenever you're feeling, you know, like I'll notice if I'm getting, because I'm doing, we're doing homeschooling here in Arizona right now, our online schooling because of COVID. And it's very frustrating because I am not meant to be a homeschool (laughs) teacher. And I just catch myself constantly I'm like where's my breath and when I'm really upset I'm breathing in my chest and I can just be like take you know a couple deep breath go into your belly (sighs) you know and that helps alleviate some of that um tension almost immediately is it yeah I mean it's needed almost immediately yeah 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 Yeah. Brie, can I ask you, when you say about, you picture your small self, you know, when you had the fourth grade and the fifth grade photos and that you say your eyes are smiling in your fourth grade photo, do you have that physically or do you have it in your mind? Well, I have it on my nightstand. So I look at it every day when I wake up and before I go to bed. And I I took a picture of that and I had it as a screensaver on my phone for a long time. But now I don't even really need to look at it. I know what she looks like. One of the things I wanted to share I did a breathwork session and I said, help me align with authenticity. And I'm doing the breathwork. I'm doing the breathwork. And I think I was envisioning my small self, but part of me thinks that she just came up. But anyway, so I'm I'm doing the breathwork and I see her and I said, what do you need? And I, and I could see myself trying to answer for her more. I, I, like my thoughts would be like more playful, um, more rest. And I kept like trying to give like these ideas and I'm all the while I'm doing the breath work and I'm doing the breath work and then just out of nowhere. And that's when I know it's my higher self. It comes right through the middle of my brain. And she says, I need you to stop being embarrassed of me. Mm. And I sobbed. I mean, I sobbed. And one of the things that I come back to all the time since that breathwork session is I am, when I'm, when I can see myself wanting to edit myself Mm -hmm. or I can see myself not wanting to show up fully as me, Mm -hmm. I just look at her and I say, I am not embarrassed of you. Anything you want, I'm not embarrassed. Beautiful. 
And that, yeah, that was a, a big turning point to my self, to my self love. That is so beautiful, Brie, because you know, when you said earlier as well about that, you know, you'd feel people out first to decide what parts will I show. I mean, I can totally identify with that, you know, that it's almost trying to fit in and be loved, even though it's conditional. So I love then that you'd get that message, you know, to stop being embarrassed. That's just beautiful and powerful. Yeah. And that's one of the things that I, I, I became aware of really early in sobriety was I've never been in love in a relationship in my life. And it became clear to me because I never showed up as myself. I can't be loved. I could be loved those parts that I showed, but not for who I am. And that's why I always felt so empty and so alone in any relationship that I've been in because they didn't know me and I wasn't willing to show it. And I wasn't brave enough to show all parts of me to be loved as fully as I am. Not anymore, though. But but that that's me, too. I mean, that was my, internally, too. There were parts of myself that I accepted, but most of it I rejected. So that that hole, that void, that emptiness was my own my own self, not giving myself the love that I need. And when you say there about being brave, it, it actually takes huge courage to show up as our full, you know, our whole selves. The biggest, the most bravery of anything. Yeah. Yeah, it really <laughs> does. And that's why it's, it's so gorgeous then to find, you know, when you said you're going to go and find your tribe. That mm-hmm. is, I love that because it's when you, we find our own, the people that see us and love all of us and, and see all of us and still love all of us. That's when it feels so safe and it's so, it's so wonderful to find our tribe. Right. And it's that, that emotional safety that I think every human craves from themselves and other people to just show up exactly who you are with all of your emotions at any time and just be safe to express them all. But I mean, that's wishful thinking. So we have to take the reins and demand it in our own life. And show up for ourselves. 100%. I think of, you know, that I would have had a huge fear of being judged, but the the person that was judging me the most was, of course, me. And then once I was able to, and I still am practicing not judging myself, I don't see or hear the judgment at all as much as before because I've stopped judging myself so harshly. And does it carry over to other people too? Like I used to be super judgmental of other people too. I find that when I was most judgmental, it was when I was harshest and most judgmental with myself. A hundred percent. And that's the beauty of it. When your, your outside world reflects your inner world. And that's, that's the taking responsibility part because when something is upsetting you in your outside world, that is just a mirror to what's going on inside. And that's when you can go within and say, okay, what is this here to teach me? What is this bringing up for me? And I remember in my yoga teacher training, I had this, this woman in my class and she drove me nuts because she always had an excuse for why she didn't do something that that was required. And I was just like, oh my God, her and her excuses. I am so annoyed. I am over it. 
you know, and every time she would talk, oh, I didn't do this. I'm just like, of course you didn't. Of course, you know, but I knew I'd been doing the work long enough. And I said, what is this bringing up for me? And it took me a couple of weeks because her, the way she was showing up didn't look like the way I was showing up, but that same conversation that I had with her, those same judgments was the same judgments I had towards myself mm. about food. You know better. You know what to eat. Oh, you say you're going to eat this way and then you fall off the wagon again and do it a different way. Oh, again, again, you're not doing what you said you were going to do again. That's exactly yes. the way I talk to myself. Once you inquire along, long enough, it'll show up, the answer. It, it, that uh, Creating that stillness just to sit with what's coming up for us or our feelings. But I know, Brie, I found that terrifying at the beginning, the first time I thought I'd sit still because I never sat still. So I think it does take practice and, yeah. and again, courage to sit in silence with ourselves. For sure. I mean, it takes a ton of courage. That's what I tried not to do for 40 years <laughs> was be with myself. Brie, oh, do you know what? I feel I want to give you a huge hug. <laughs> Good. Well, I accept your hug from across the pond. Your stories are amazing, Brie, amazing, really. Oh, wow. Yeah, I mean, it's clear that this is what I'm here to do, is just to share my story, right? Yes, indeed. And what an amazing story. Brie, thank you so, so much for sharing your incredible and inspiring story and for sharing the amazing tools you're now practicing as part of your own self-healing journey. I'm in awe of you. Well, thank you so much for having me on. And the feeling is mutual. I think you're a pretty swell friend. Oh, thank you, Brie. Mm-hmm.